Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, everybody. One of the most valuable skills I have learned in recent years is how to get better at talking to other human beings. It is amazing to contemplate that most of us spend much of our days yammering, and yet very few of us have ever been taught how to do a better job at this. For me, at least, many of the most painful and most awkward and embarrassing situations I have ever endured were the result of poor communication, usually on my end. Why don't they teach this in school? Because it turns out communication is a skill, and there are many extremely smart people who have devised brilliant systems for teaching us how to get better at this. One of the leading figures in this field is the meditation teacher, Orin J. Sofer. If you use the 10% Happier app, you've most likely encountered him over there. He's one of our most popular teachers, and he has dedicated much of his teaching career to the subject of interpersonal communication. In this conversation, we talk about his core thesis that communication is a learnable skill and one of the most accessible ways to improve your life, how to become aware of what motivates you to communicate the way you do, strategies for how to have more meaningful conversations, what it means to, as he says, lead with presence, how to understand your intentions and wants, and how conflict can deepen our relationships in the end. A little bit more about Oren. He teaches mindfulness, meditation, and nonviolent communications in both secular and Buddhist contexts. He's practiced meditation in the early Buddhist tradition since 1997. He's a graduate of the IMS Spirit Rock Vipassana Teacher Training and a current member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council. And he is the author of Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. I should say before we dive in that this is a reposted, rerun episode from deep in our archives. We recorded it a while back, and many of you new listeners probably have not heard it. And if you're not a new listener, I strongly believe this one bears repeated listens. So enjoy. We will get started with Oren J. Sofer right after this. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre 
from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business and more. I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it. But already, I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Nice to see you, my friend. You too. It's good to be back here. So just tell, tell me about the book. I, I was just saying to you apologetically before we started rolling that I haven't had a chance to yeah. read it, which makes me a horrible podcast host. So just walk, walk me through the book. Yeah, but it gives me the ch- a chance to explain it. So the book is kind of the result of the last 20 years of my practice. You know, I started meditating when I was 19. And five or six years in, I found... Hey, this stuff is great, but every time I open my mouth, it goes out the window. <laughs> and what good is that? You know? Boy, I know that feeling. Yeah. So I was very lucky to stumble across this guy named Marshall Rosenberg, who founded this practice called Nonviolent Communication. And I took to it immediately, like as quickly as I took to meditation. It was one of those things where the first time I heard about it, I was like, oh my God, this can change my life. This is amazing. So very quickly, I started taking classes and workshops and eventually going on these communication retreats. I was like amazed. I didn't even know that you could learn how to communicate better. And that kind of blew my mind because communication is the one thing that we all do in every context of our life. It's like one of the most important factors that determines our success at work, the quality of our relationships at home or with friends. And yet it's the thing that most of us have the least training in, you know, so I was really hungry for tools. And so then over the years, I started realizing that the mindfulness practice and the the clarity of awareness and the strength of qualities like kindness or patience or restraint were, were so necessary for the communication tools I was learning that, you know, if you can't be aware Good luck having a meaningful conversation with somebody, right? So over the last 15 or 20 years, the two really came together in me. And so the book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, is how do you learn these tools with mindfulness and awareness as a foundation? Tell me about nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. I I guess I get an initial pang of annoyance when I hear the term. It's like, oh, my God, okay, what is this? Uh, So what, what, what about it spoke to you? I, I love I love that, Dan. <laughs> a lot of people get an, an initial ping of annoyance. And then unfortunately, a lot of people get another dose of annoyance when they talk to people who have learned nonviolent communication because they've learned it often incorrectly. They've learned it in this kind of rigid form. And so you're talking to someone and they sound like a robot or it feels like they're manipulating you and you're like, what are you doing? Stop, <laughs> you know, just be normal. 
So one of the things that I emphasize a lot when I teach communication is it's not about what you say. It's not in the words. You know, so much of our communication is nonverbal. It's in the tone of our voice. It's in our expressions, our body language. It's in things that are even more subtle, you know, that we can't put our finger on where you're like, you know, I just, everything he said sounded good, but I don't trust him. Right. And it's like, we can't say why. Uh So it's not about what we say. It's about where we're coming from and the quality of connection and understanding that we're able to create with someone. So, so what is nonviolent communication? So the shorthand is NVC. Nonviolent communication was founded by this man named Marshall Rosenberg. And he grew up in Detroit in the 40s and he lived through the race riots. And I think it was 43 or 44. And like dozens of people were killed within a few blocks of his house. This has had a huge impact on him as a small child. He was like, oh my God, you know, people might try to kill you for the color of your skin. And then going to school as a young Jewish boy in Detroit. He was the subject of a lot of anti-Semitism and physical violence. So then he realized, okay, people might want to hurt you because of your last name. So this had a really strong impression on him. But then he was also exposed to people like his uncle who took care of his grandmother who was paralyzed. And his uncle would come over the house every night and wash her and feed her. And he would, he would just be beaming. He would be so happy to be helping and giving so Marshall's like, what's going on here? How come some people, when their needs aren't met, resort to violence? And other people are able to feel so much joy in giving to other human beings. So this kind of set him out on a mission to learn and understand more about the nature of violence and the nature of human relationship. So he studied with people like Carl Rogers, who founded humanistic psychology. He did some of his own research. And what he found was that one of the key things that makes a difference in whether or not we will see violence as a viable strategy to meet our needs is how we think about things and how we speak. That the concepts that we use to understand our world can either make violence seem really logical and even enjoyable or can help us to stay connected to our shared humanity. So what is violence? So, you know, we hear that word, we usually think, okay, it's, you know, physically harming someone. But obviously there's a lot more that's like poverty, right, is violence. Lack of education is a form of violence in some way. Insult. Insult, right, verbal. So, you know, one uh, thinker, Johann Galtung, defines violence as any avoidable impairment of basic human needs. So Marshall Rosenberg discovered this process that he termed nonviolent communication, and he called it that for two reasons. One, because of this connection between the way we think and speak and our actions. And two, to, to place it within the tradition of Gandhian and Kingian nonviolence, because he really saw it not just as a process for better interpersonal communication and relationships, um, not just as a way of having more connection with ourself, you know, in, in life, and particularly these days, we can get estranged from ourselves, where we lose connection with, with our own sense of, of purpose or meaning or direction in life. So not only is it, is it useful for those purposes, but it's a tool for social change, for actually looking at what's happening in society, the way our institutions are structured, and using, using language, using how we uh, think about things to create change. So that's the context Nonviolent communication is founded on a few premises, uh, one of the main ones being that our conflicts happen at the level of our strategies. 
our ideas about what we want in life. Uh, but that fundamentally, uh, all human beings share the same basic needs. So in one way or another, we all want to be happy. We all want our children to grow up in peace and have education and access to medical care. We all want a sense of meaning and purpose. We want respect, understanding, things like that. Those vary in relative importance depending on who we are or what stage of life we're in. And our ideas about how to meet those needs also vary quite a bit. So the process of nonviolent communication is one of training ourselves to notice this deeper level of our experience in ourselves and in others and learn to understand our choices, our actions, our relationships from this different perspective. And when we can really understand what actually matters in a situation, not just what I think I want, but why I want it, there's a lot more room to understand each other, to see things from other perspectives, and then eventually to collaborate, which is the purpose, to actually be able to work together to address whatever needs are present. I had what's called a 360 review. Do you know what one of those sure. is? So, so yeah. that's where you, you hire a firm and they talk to people, you know, right. all aspects of your life. Yeah, yeah. Above, below, yeah. parallel, yeah. The joke I've been making is that the conclusion of the report from my perspective was you suck from every angle and it was a pretty harsh report really oh that's hard but it was is incredibly useful i feel very positive about it totally um feedback is so important it's how we learn yeah Yeah. yes Uh, i didn't have many feedback mechanisms other than twitter and my wife and so i knew some of my deficiencies but i just didn't have it like a 41 page report with all of these anonymous quotes Mm -hmm. before so now i have this kind of bible Mm-hmm. which is really useful. Joseph Goldstein, a mutual friend of ours, great meditation teacher, had recommended this couple who I'm sure you're, you live near them, so I'm sure you know them, Mudita Nisker and Dan Klerman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They teach some sort of basic They communication teach communication, strategies. right? Yeah. So that, I've been working with them a little bit on Skype and really like them. Great, and yeah. that gets me to the question, which is one of the things I bumped up to uh, against with them. They don't teach NVC. They just have sort of yeah. mindfulness-infused communication sure, sure. techniques. Um, is a lot of our conversations are just, you know, shooting the shooting bull the breeze, yeah. uh, with people in the office and uh, or at home. Maybe I do have a basic need that's trying to be met there, but I'm not really yeah. aware of it. They're not right. freighted conversations. <clears throat> or, you know, there are occasionally throughout the day a big, meaningful conversation, and often I'm unprepared for it. It's like my wife's got something she wants to talk to me about, and I'm just sitting there like watching TV. And so I have to f- switch into a mode where I'm really listening, and I, it takes me a minute to recognize, oh, no, this is a big conversation. Yeah, but yeah. most of what we're doing is like, hey, you're going to the store, can you get me an avocado? Or uh, somebody pops their head in my office and just like tells me some funny gossip, and we're just, or, mm-hmm. you know, or tells me about some shoot they just did, at, mm-hmm. at, you know, for Nightline and blah, blah, blah. And so, again, I don't know necessarily that there's a need that's being met in a lot that yeah. we're aware of right. in these like, you know, it, I kind of think about it like two fax machines yeah. beeping at each other, you know, that or two dogs sniffing each other's butts. There's a certain amount of like just transactional conversation that happens that isn't some big conversation where you have a need and you got to figure out what's your strategy to sure, get that sure. need met, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Yeah, that's great. A few different things to hit there. So the first is the acknowledgement that this distinction between a strategy and a need is shared. The language is different, but it's shared in many, if not all, different communication techniques, conflict resolution, diplomacy, that, 
other other systems will talk about the difference between uh, a position and an interest or a deeper concern, right? So there's this there's this sense that there are these different levels to our awareness and our behavior. And what happens is we get fixated on the specifics, right? I want this to happen. I need you to do that for me. Those are strategies or positions, right? And when we get fixated on a particular outcome, there's less space to hear each other, to dialogue, to negotiate. We get shut down and locked into this very narrow, narrow view. So that's the first thing is that that's a shared shared framework among many kinds of communication styles. Second, what do we mean by need? This is really important because that word is pretty loaded. It's pretty charged. If you come to someone and say, hey, I really need more you know, space in our relationship. It's like, whoa, you know, that's kind of heavy. What, what do I do with that? What we mean by this word need is not a quality of neediness, not a quality of desperation or self-centeredness. What we mean by that is a fundamental core value that's shared by human beings. So the word need is kind of unfortunate because of the connotations it carries. Mm-hmm in our culture. But what, the, the phrase that I actually like to use the most is what matters. This is what matters to us in our life. And so the understanding here, and this is getting to your question, is that all human behavior can be seen as an attempt to meet some underlying need, to satisfy something that matters to us. And the, if you just step back and think about it, it's like, why do human beings do stuff? We do stuff because there's something that's important to us. We might not be aware of it, and that's the difference. And that's what's so powerful about this technique. So when we're unaware of our needs, when we're unaware of what matters, of why we're doing the stuff that we do, we're not at choice. So if I don't know why I'm popping into your office and shooting my mouth off, or if I don't know why I'm, I don't know, not answering someone's email or picking up my phone to look at my feed, If I don't know what's actually happening inside, what I'm ultimately after, what is this going to give me? Do I need some relief? Do I want a break? Do I need to relax? Am I feeling a little bit, you know, isolated or lonely and I just want to connect? So I pop my head into your office. So the needs are there. There's something that's mattering to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. But we're just not aware of it. And so one of the trainings is to become more aware of what's actually motivating me. Why am I doing this. And we can see everything through that lens. And when we start to, it can really transform our life because we start to realize, I don't want to do that. So I'll tell you a short story. A colleague of mine was teaching some of this stuff at a workshop, happened to be in Israel, and teaching this very concept that, you know, everything we do, we do to meet some deeper, basic underlying value or need uh, that's shared, it's universal. Um, so this uh, gentleman at the workshop was driving home, reaches for a smoke in his car, and he pauses. Okay, all right, and let's give this stuff, you know, if this is really true, then I'm trying to meet some need here, you know, by, by smoking a cigarette. Okay, well, what need am I trying to meet? So he thinks about it for a little bit. He says, well, yeah, I want to relax. I, I want to break. I kind of want to take my mind off things, yeah. Jeez. I have better ways of doing that than smoking and quit. I don't need to smoke to, I don't need to smoke to relax and take my mind off things. Obviously not everyone has the willpower to kick a habit like that, but that, that illustrates this difference. I wish I would have thought of that last night when I ate a bunch of granola bars mindlessly. 
Right. Exactly. What was that? What was, what did did I need? I don't know. You know, well, do you have a sense what you were feeling? What emotions were present at all? I was tired. Okay. I was a little hungry. Okay. So tired. And I felt like I needed a treat because I had Uh just taken my kid. So we were recording this on November 1st. I had just taken my kid trick-or-treating, but I don't eat dessert anymore. Uh, and so, like, I was surrounded uh, by all this, all these treats that sure. I couldn't have, that okay. I did want. Um, so you wanted some pleasure. Yeah. You wanted some pleasure, some yes. sense of enjoyment. Yes. Like, yeah. I, you know, Dan needs a little, a little bit of something yeah. uplifting. Yes. Right? So then when we're aware of that, it's like, yeah, that's a healthy, that's a healthy inclination. Pleasure is really important in life. It's just a question of what kind of pleasure. Are we going towards addictive, unhealthy pleasure, or are we going towards healthy pleasure, something that actually nourishes us? So when we're aware of that, then we can make a different choice. Sometimes we eat, you know, like emotional eating. We might eat because we're in pain and we need some relief. Sometimes we eat because um, we're overstimulated and we need to ground. When, when your belly's really full, it's very grounding. You know, so lots of times emotional eating will be like, oh, I just need to be here more. But there are other ways to do that. Mm. So so maybe back to the book. So what's so what's the book about? So the book, it's a guide to how to have more meaningful conversations that bring people together. And it's a re, it's really a practice manual. It's like a step by step guide with stories and exercises. And so the three basic steps, the basic framework is that the first step is to lead with presence. And this is the basic training in mindfulness that, you know, if we want to have a meaningful conversation, if we don't want to create a big mess that we have to clean up later, uh, we've got to be here. We have to learn not just how to be present in our meditation practice, but how to be really present with another human being, how to be aware of what's happening in ourself, how to sense and track what's happening for the other person, and, and not get, like you, you say your phrase, not get yanked around by our thoughts and our emotions. So this is, there are all kinds of ways for bringing mindfulness into our conversations and relationships. So it's kind of this uh, translation of meditation. You could say it's an interpersonal meditation. So like even right now, as we're sitting together and you're nodding your head a little, you know, you can feel that movement. You can feel the weight of your body, right? And so as I point that out now, notice the difference maybe a little bit in your level of awareness, how here you feel, Right or how much sense of connection there is between us. So in those kinds of skills of grounding and being present, that's that's like gold when you're in a difficult moment with somebody, because the mind just takes off. You know, the mind just goes into I can't believe you did this, and how come, and the last time this happened, and I'm never gonna again, and you always. Right? If we follow that stuff, forget it; it's over. But if we can just pause. Okay, just I'm right here. You know, that's the foundation for having effective conversation. So that's the first training. And the first part of the book goes into that in detail, all the benefits of that, different training tools for doing it, things like taking a breath, carrying around a stone, like a something that you can just hold in your hand that helps you to remember to be here. So lead with presence is the first step. Then the second step is about where we're coming from. It's about our intention. And this is, this is huge. This is a really important meditative training. So the instruction here is to come from curiosity and care. 
So to learn how to train ourselves to be aware of our intentions. What's my habit? What's my default? Am I just trying to like look good? Am I trying to win? Am I trying to be right? Yes. I'll agree though. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then how well does that work out? Right. You know, what is what does that do to the quality of the relationship? What does that do to the level of trust that the other person has in us? Even when we get our way, right? It comes at a cost. It comes at a cost in goodwill. It comes at a cost in trust. It comes at a cost in the quality of our connection, right? So there are other ways of getting our needs met that don't have those costs. So it's just a cost-benefit analysis of saying, yeah, I can kind of like throw my weight around here and make this come out the way I want. But then what's going to happen next time? Or how are people going to relate to me? Or what's going to be in that 41-page report, right? So to say, okay, it's not about giving up what I want. It's not about, oh, just be nice and let people walk all over you. No, be really clear about what you want. But recognize that part of what matters to us as human beings is our relationships. I mean, we are social creatures and we're continually, part of our mind is continually feeling out, where do I stand with others? You know, how do they feel about me? How do I feel about them? Do I belong here? Can I trust this person? And one of the places that we feel the most happiness and joy is when we can give, when we can contribute and help out. Not because we have to or someone's threatening us or we feel obligated. That sucks. But when we just genuinely can help out, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, I can do that. That feels great. So just like take a moment now. Think about the last time you did something for someone just because you wanted to in, in the last week. Yeah. Okay. How's that feel? Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking of something very small. I get hung up on that a little bit because I know that I do do things occasionally for no reason other than I give a crap about the other person. Yeah. But a lot of the time there is another motivation. Sure. And I feel like maybe motivation or intention is kind of a spectrum and it's never just one thing mm-hmm. that motivates our action. No, no. It's... And maybe some of it is like, I want to do better on my next 360 Absolutely. or maybe it is. I want this person to like me. Who knows? Right. So, so two things. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's rarely just one thing. We're very complicated creatures. And so our intentions are often multicolored and multifaceted, right? But the question is, what are we, what are we cultivating? What are we strengthening? Which ones do we want to follow? Right. And so when we are aware of an intention that, that doesn't have a certain, that kind of uplifting or, or steadying or, healthy quality to it. Like, you know, I want you to like me. That doesn't really feel good when we're like, right. It's that sense of like pulling or like, I feel small inside or like you have something that I want and I'm trying to get it from you. That feels terrible. So when I'm aware of that, say, okay, what do I actually, what what do I need here? What's actually important to me? You know, am I, you know, wanting some recognition? Am I wanting to get ahead in my career? Am I like actually wanting to contribute more or feel a sense of success and accomplishment in my life? Am I wanting more friendship in my life? You know, do I want more connection and and meaning? So when I start to be aware of those, now you're not the only strategy. And I might still, you know, approach you and be like, hey, you want to go out to lunch? But it's coming from a different place now because I know what I want and I'm choosing this and I'm aware if this doesn't work, you know, I've got more options when I'm aware of my need. So I want to get back to two two other things. So this sense of like opening the door to, to to giving, to that sense of mutual free contribution. 
another premise of, of nonviolent communication is that given two choices, okay, all other things being equal, right? Like both options will meet our needs equally. Okay, so I'm not sacrificing something huge for option A over option B. Given two choices, human beings, unless they're like, you know, severely damaged or psychotic in some way, will naturally choose the option that causes less harm. That because we feel things, because we are empathic, because we have this capacity to be affected by the world around us and feel what other people are experiencing on some level, even to feel what other creatures are experiencing, given two choices, all our things being equal, we'll choose the thing that doesn't hurt someone, right? Unless there's some, something going on, some kind of disturbance there that, that needs to be healed or, or addressed. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a, a situation where we can look at what's actually going on and say, look, how do we, how do we address all the underlying concerns that are here in a way to make this work as best as possible for everyone? So intention is a really, really, really powerful quality, a powerful factor in our awareness. And we can actually start to cultivate and train ourselves to have different intentions or to use intentions that are more likely to go in the direction that we want in our life and our relationships. So the whole second training is around examining our default habits and intentions to blame, to judge, to attack, to defend, to view things in terms of right and wrong, should and shouldn't. These are the kinds of concepts that make violence enjoyable. Because if you're wrong and you're bad, then you deserve to be punished. And then being violent to you makes sense. Whereas if I see things through a different lens, it's not saying that like those concepts don't have use, but if I see things through the lens of, you know, that your actions are creating harm and I want more safety and respect for myself, my family, my community. Now I'm approaching the situation from a different angle. It's more I see I see your humanity. I can and I see what what about your actions aren't aren't working. So training ourselves in shifting from our default habitual intentions, which get hardwired, those those get kind of coded into our nervous system through experience, through the messages we get from society. And starting to learn how to how to come from a different place that's going to be more likely to bring about what we want. And this is where things like neuroplasticity are are so so powerful. And I go I go into the book in a little bit about how our nervous system actually gets wired and, and hooked up in conflict to these other patterns of needing to defend myself or needing to win, right? Because everything we've experienced, not everything, but most of what we've experienced in our life through the education system, through our family, through the media, is giving us all those messages that when there's a difference, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. And I know which side I want to be on, right? So what we're doing here is we're recognizing there's another opportunity, actually, that we can actually use conflict to learn, can use it as an opportunity to deepen our relationship. And that's rare. It's rare to use conflict and difference as an opportunity to learn. And one of the key things that we learn when we, when we take that on and say, you know, I'm actually going to use this, is we learn one of the most valuable skills in life, which is the skill to make peace. Coming up, Oren talks more about creating the conditions for nonviolent communication. And he'll talk about how conflict resolution is not about changing the other person's mind. Keep it here. 
The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We can all think of times where we actually had a conflict with somebody and it made us closer. Mm-hmm. Not always the case. Not always, story, right. But it can be. It can be. And we've had those experiences. So then the question is, why? What's the difference? And that's what the book is really looking at is what are the conditions, right? In meditation practice, we talk a lot about conditions, creating the conditions that are going to be helpful for something. So this is looking at the conditions in a relationship and in a conversation to say, what are the conditions that are going to make it more likely that when we have a difference or a conflict, that we can hear each other and work through it and come out stronger on the other side. And so the first two areas of training of those conditions are one, being present, being mindful, being aware, because the more aware we are, the more choice we have. The second is knowing where we're coming from and, and training and being able to get curious. The single most powerful and transformative intention in communication and dialogue is the intention to understand. Because when you trust when you can feel that I'm actually trying to understand you, you can stop, you know, trying to defend yourself or protect or get your way. And then when you feel heard and understood, 
you're more willing to listen to me to hear what's going on from my side of things. This this insight is the driving insight of a group that I've been very impressed by called Better Angels. Yeah, they're great. I'm uh, familiar with his work, yeah. Better Angels is a group that puts red and blue Americans together and in dialogue. And the goal is you've all seen reds and blues sitting around a conference table moderated by a journalist and they're yelling at each other. We've done a million. It's been on 60 Minutes. It's been on ABC News. We do it all the time. Yes, it's a kind of like a journalistic trope. Well, that is not what the Better Angels do. They have a very detailed system designed by the marriage counselor so that they've got a real protocol for how they talk to each other. And the the rule number one is you are not trying to change anybody's mind. That is the cardinal rule. And the point is to reach what they call accurate disagreement. So you're trying to understand what the other group feels correctly, not so that it can be all kumbaya, but just because you, once you get down to the level of what people actually feel uh, and why they feel that way, actually you've, you, you've humanized each other and you're not demonizing as we do often through our own sort of media echo chambers that, in which we exist. They're doing great work. And, and as you said, it's it's based upon this deeper intention that I'm not trying to get my way. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm trying to understand you. Because when I'm when I'm fixated on trying to push things in a certain direction, there's no space for us to hear each other or understand or, or understand one another. And this is like one of the most egregious absences in civil society today in civil discourse is that space of mutual respect and actually trying to understand one another. And it's on it's it's on both sides, you know, the whether you're talking left or right or red or blue, like both sides in general are demonizing the other and and not recognizing that, you know, we have very different ideas about how to meet our basic needs as a society. Right? But if we look deep enough, my guess is that most of us want the same thing. Most of us want to live in a peaceful society. We want we want people to have access to health care and clean water and medicine. We want people to have access to meaningful work. And so the, the differences are in how we go about that. And so there, there isn't that sense of being able to shift from the, the fixation, the obsession with the strategy. And it's possible. It's very possible. A, a colleague of mine uh, facilitated some groundbreaking legislation in Minnesota on child custody. People across the aisle working together, they never agreed on their views, but they were able to craft legislation that everyone signed unanimously because they were able to develop the criteria to say, well, what's actually important to us? What does this legislation need to meet? What's the bottom line here? It took a lot of time. It took a lot of effort. It was many months. For those who are interested, you can go to baynvc.org and look up Mickey Cashtan's work on the Minnesota child's custody legislation. So to get back to the framework, so we're starting with mindfulness and presence, then we're focusing on our intention. So I always like to point out here that two-thirds of this, we haven't even talked about what we're saying yet. <laughs> Because so much of communication is about where we're coming from and yeah. what's going on yeah. inside. Yeah. If that's not there, we can learn all the fancy words and tools we want. We're still going to be running the same trip. Because it goes back to what you said at the beginning, which is that we can animalistically sense whether the person we're with is listening to us and what they really want, no matter what they robotically say. Exactly. So this brings us to the third step. So once we're here... And we've got a helpful, positive intention in the conversation. Now, the next training, which is where 
the system and the process of nonviolent communication comes in is learning to train our attention. What are we focusing on? Where are we placing our attention? And this is where the skills of meditation are super useful because meditation in many ways is not only a training in intention, but a training in attention. What do we, what do we pay attention to? And so are we focusing on things that are more likely to help us get what we want? And usually our default is to focus on things that actually go in the other direction. We focus on what we don't like. We focus on our disagreements. We focus on the things that happened in the past that are coloring my perception of you right now and our arguments and why you shouldn't and should and are wrong and so forth versus paying attention to four different things. And this is the core framework of nonviolent communication. We want to train our attention to notice, number one, what happened. Not my interpretations, not my judgments and evaluations, just the observation. What actually happened? What am I reacting to here? And so to go back to the 360 review, you know from reading that, I'm sure that the comments where someone says, Dan just always wants to get his way. I'm making stuff up here. Well, well that's pretty close <laughs> to what was said. Okay, so that's not so useful. Whereas if someone says, when I sit in meetings with Dan, he only speaks about his point of view and doesn't ask people for, for input. That's really useful. Now you have a clear observation about what you're actually doing or saying that's creating this perception or this interpretation in others that you only care about yourself. By the way, it's, I, I don't know if this is germane to your point, but it's germane to the 360. I don't know if it's germane to the larger point you're driving toward, but mm-hmm. it's germane to the mi- micro <laughs> point you're making right now. It actually feels better to be a guy in a meeting asking for other people's input rather than just spouting whatever happens to be neurotic obsession that is flitting through your brain yeah. because you want the input because then the end product is going to be better. Exactly. And plus, by the way, that process is more enjoyable. Ironically, not being a jerk is a much more enjoyable way to live. Yeah, yeah. That And that goes that goes back to intention, to the sense of, you know, what are we ultimately after here and and what's the best way to get it? You know, and, and it is. The, the outcomes are better when we take other people's perspectives and input into consideration. And like you said, it's more enjoyable because we're not fighting. We're not rigid and narrow and kind of tense inside because we need this thing to happen. It's more like, well, here's my idea. Poke some holes in it. Tell, tell me, tell me, you know, what you what you think. And this is really important in the workplace, particularly when there's a power differential. If someone who has more power is wanting to use these tools to make it really easy for other people to dissent. Yes. Well, I was doing the former and I'm fine that doing the latter, I was, and I'm probably still doing some of this, pantomiming a desire for people to poke holes, but really wanting to mm-hmm. just get my way. Right. But I found that dry, doing a little bit more of the latter, which is like, yeah, let's just help me figure this out, redounds to my benefit, like massively, not only in my relationships, but also in the end product. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And And also relationship, the quality of the work, and also the quality of my life in those moments. Yeah. So I just... So um, annoying. Well, this, I mean, this is, this is, this is why, why we're here. Why can't I just swagger around to telling people what to do? You don't have to answer that. I want to. Because <laughs> it's, because it's, it's a question I think all of us have somewhere deep down inside. It's like, why can't I control my world? It's actually a profound question, mm. you know, because we have this experience of there are certain things we can control. We do have influence in certain areas, right? Particularly over our body, you know, depending on our level of health or ability. But, you know, we can move around, we can eat this or walk there or do that. But then, you know, we start to realize the rest of the world doesn't obey my will. And that's an experience of frustration 
that's called dukkha in the Buddhist world. It's stressful. And so what's happening there from the from a perspective of contemplative practice is that the universe is giving us feedback. <laughs> the universe is telling us, you know, Oren, you're not in charge here, actually. And the more you try to control this, the more you're going to suffer. What happens if you let go? And this is, this is where, you know, letting go doesn't mean giving up what's important to us. It means that we understand the limits of our influence. What I like about Buddhism, again, not that I'm like a religious Buddhist, but I, I see Buddhism like I see journalism. It's a thing I do. What I like about Buddhism is that you are aligning with small t truth. Mm-hmm. It's like the universe is telling you, actually, it feels better not to be a jerk. Right. That's what the universe is telling you. Yeah. And if you are aligning yourself with the way things are. You're going to suffer less. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so the, the model here of nonviolent communication is helping us to do that in our interpersonal relationships. It's helping us to align with the way things are. So let me just run down it here. So these four steps within this. Okay, so the third, we're in the third part we're, right now. With the we're, fifth, training, we're training our attention. What are okay. we focusing on? We're uh-huh. focusing on four things. One, what happened? What's the observation? Two, how do I feel about it? What are, what are the emotions that are going on in me? Not what I'm telling myself you did to me. I feel betrayed, attacked, manipulated. Those aren't emotions. Those are stories about what you're doing to me. How do I actually feel? Do I feel hurt? Do I feel frustrated? Do I feel annoyed? Do I feel confused? Do I feel frightened, panicked? We're not always sharing that with other people because it's not always appropriate depending on the context. But are we aware? If we're not aware of what we're feeling, we're just reacting to the world around us. And we're living in the stories that we're creating. So what happened? How do I feel about it? Third, why? What matters? There, there's the needs. Why, why are these feelings going on? Why did this particular behavior, this particular action, this particular statement, this particular situation, why am I even thinking about this? If there wasn't something that mattered to me, I wouldn't be wasting my time here. So being aware of what actually matters to me. And then last, so what? Where do I go from here? What's next? What, what do I want to ask? of this person in this moment right now what can i do to move this conversation or problem forward one step not the ultimate solution not the end point but just right here right now how do i create a little bit more understanding and connection together so that we can figure this out so we're trying to train our attention to identify those components of our experience and to hear that from someone else and this is really this is really huge so Attention is one of our most valuable resources, right? So, and we know today that millions of dollars going into persuasive technology to capture and retain our attention on our devices. And the result is this kind of massive, kind of tragic fragmentation of our mind where our attention span is is short. We're pulled in a million different directions And, you know, our minds are so malleable and impressionable. And so what we pay attention to will shape our mind. Whatever we give attention to, that's going to become the dominant theme of our consciousness. So where we place our attention is really important. And as human beings, one of the one of the key insights that we have in contemplative practice is when I'm aware I can choose where I put my attention. 
And it's a, it's a super small, subtle thing. It's like, what's the big difference if I pay attention to my thoughts or listen to the sounds around me or feel my body? Well, it makes a huge difference because depending on what we're paying attention to, that's influencing the whole internal atmosphere and landscape of our mind. And so we're training ourselves to actually choose where we put our attention in a conversation and putting our attention in places that are more likely to help us understand one another and figure things out. And so where, where this comes in is not only in how we express ourselves, so being able to, being able to say to someone, you know, hey, when you, know, when you came into my office and, and you said that thing, I was a little bit confused and kind of perturbed. I'm really wanting us to work together on this project and move things forward in a way where, where we're both having input. There's the need in a really colloquial way. I'm wanting collaboration and teamwork, but I'm not saying I need collaboration and teamwork. No, I'm, I'm t- telling you what's important to me. Like, you know, I want us to work together and make sure that we have checkpoints where we're both giving input, right? And so then I'm going to make a request. I say, listen, you know, can we talk a little bit more about the workflow and uh, how we handle these choice points? Right. I'm not cutting straight to the chase to the end, which is one of the mistakes we make. We focus on the solution. It's like, I need you to do this. No, 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 no. Dial it back a little bit. You don't know where this is going to go. Can we just have a conversation about this? Can we explore this some more? I want to understand where you were coming from. Maybe you had a reason that I didn't know about. You know, I want to tell you a little bit more about where I'm coming from to make sure that I'm being clear and that you understand me. So that's expressing ourselves. The other side of it is obviously listening, hearing where someone else, where someone else is coming from. And this is where the tools are pretty amazing and transformative when we can use them in a natural way. One of the things Marshall Rosenberg used to say that I love is he said, never listen to what people think about you. You'll live longer and enjoy your life more. Instead of listening to the judgments that people have, you're so selfish, you're arrogant, you know, or you're whatever, okay? The stories that people are telling us, all their judgments, listen listen to what matters to them. Listen to how they're feeling and listen to what they need. Obviously, you know, you did or said something that didn't work for them. But the judgment and the blame, that's just, that's just their interpretations. So all judgment can be understood as a kind of counterproductive and tragic expression of our unmet needs. It's just how we've learned to express something when it's not working for us, right? So if you're, if you're late, I feel hurt and offended, you know, I might have a judgment you're being disrespectful and uh, you're um, only, only care about yourself and think, you know, the world revolves around you, right? Well, you hear that and you say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. It sounds like, you know, it really didn't work for you. Um, really hearing you want some more respect for your time. Want to know that, you know, I'm taking you into consideration. Uh, yeah, is, that, is that right? So it can defuse a situation. I one doctor I was working with doing some training works in addiction medicine, had a patient screaming at him because he needed to cut off his, his opioids. Prescription was over, need to transition out. Within five or ten minutes of using these tools, of just reflecting back to the person what he was hearing, what matters to you, how you're feeling, you know, really hearing you want some choice over your care, really hearing, you know, you're in a lot of pain, you need to make sure that, you're, that you have some relief. I get that, you know. Guy was smiling and laughing. These are, these are powerful tools for, uh, for understanding one another and transforming our, our conflicts and relationships. Up next, Oren talks about using your regular, everyday conversations 
as the training ground for better communication. And he talks about his view that communication is a learnable skill and the most powerful lever for positive change in an individual life. We'll be right back. It's spring, and that means it's graduation season, and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&M's, uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. Let me just get back to with a question I asked at the beginning that we didn't actually close out, Great. Uh, which is... A lot of our conversations aren't, you know, somebody's screaming at us. Yes. A lot of us, it's just like whatever. You were just chit-chatting in the office or, or you know, having a transactional discussion with my wife about who's going to do what vis-a-vis the kid or yeah. whatever. Um, well, that one I could is a little bit more freighted than just, I don't know, sitting around. I was just, I, I told you I was on a shoot in Arizona with right, right. two producers I really like and... We had a lot of spare time. We were just yeah. sitting around talking. That's great. So I don't know. What are the needs in those moments? Right. So there, so there are two things. So one, those are the moments that we train. It's really hard to learn this stuff when you're in a conflict because everything's going bonkers inside. Alarm bells are going off. Your hormones are rushing. There's emotions. You're like, oh, my God, how do I figure this out? Now this person's mad at me. That's not the time to try to learn how to communicate. You know, if you want to learn to swim, you don't jump in the ocean on a stormy day. You go to a pool in the shallow end. So those like really relaxed, nothing conversations, that's where you start. That's where you start training yourself just to see if I can be present. Can I stay aware while I'm just shooting the breeze with somebody? Great, great training ground. Low stakes. Doesn't matter. You can take your time. You can practice pausing. You know, where am I coming from? Can I start to be aware of my intentions? 
Can I start to be aware of my needs? So a lot of our chit-chat is meeting a very important need for us as human beings, which is a need for healthy social connection. Social engagement activates the parasympathetic nervous system. When we look at another human being, when we talk and we listen, all the neural architecture there of the, the vagus nerve uh, stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system and it helps us to regulate and to relax. Sometimes it's called co-regulation. When we're having easy, uh, light conversation, it's soothing for our nervous system. So we're meeting a, very, very, a number of really basic important needs for connection, for belonging, for enjoyment, for uh, a sense of ease. Those are really, really good for us as human beings. We need a lot of that. We need more of that. You know, we don't do that enough in our life these days because everything is so mechanized and systematized and instant touchscreen get there right now yeah, well we're not chatting because we're we're uh, instagramming right exactly that's one of the things that we're trying to learn and to shift out of with these tools is to recognize that conversation is an organic process it's not instagram or twitter or facebook it's not a touchscreen it's not a text message it takes time you have to listen you've got to pause you have to breathe it doesn't go in a straight line so we're coming back into our bodies, coming back into the, the natural world of, you know, you go out into the forest or you go walk in a park, there aren't straight lines. Everything's, you know, this way and that way and upside down. And that's what conversation's like. It's a mess. But we can learn to be at ease and to be in a flow with that mess. We're uh, coming toward the end here. And I want to let you plug away, as we do with all of our guests, plug everything you got going. But is there anything... Before we do that, that we've any big thing that we missed that we should talk about? The one thing that, that I want to say, like if there's one message that I want people to take away from listening to this, it's that communication is a learnable skill. And it's one of the most, you know, a lot of people talk about hacks like life hacks. If you're looking for a life hack that will have a positive effect on every area of your life, learn to communicate better. It's the most powerful lever for positive change in your life because we do it everywhere mm -hmm. and it's it's very accessible so aligned with you know my central thesis as a public figure which is that all of the things we want are skills mm. you know happiness mm -hmm. patience mm -hmm. gratitude generosity right focus yeah these are all skills we and and because of the brain's capacity because of neuroplasticity we can we can actually through behavior through how we use our attention how we apply our intention we can develop these capacities so your question or point yes can we apply these skills you talked about instagram and yeah. we don't want to pick on instagram but Online. Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, can we apply Absolutely. these skills? Absolutely. I hope so. Absolutely. Email and social media are generally tone-deaf mediums. It's practically impossible to read the tone of someone's voice or where they're coming from. Hence emojis and GIFs. And sense emojis and GIFs. And if there's my rule of thumb, and I have learned this the hard way more times than I care to admit... If there's anything emotionally charged about the interaction, pick up the phone yeah. or get together in person. Don't try to do it over email. Obviously, there are exceptions because sometimes it is easier to do it in writing because it's too charged in person and then you have more time to kind of think things through. That's a different situation. In general, don't try to have difficult or meaningful conversations 
over email because it's so ripe for misunderstanding because you can't read tone. That's number one. Number two, and all of the skills apply. So presence, training and mindfulness, just that ability to pause before you hit send. Oh my God, right? And again, like I generally consider myself a fairly adept learner. (laughs) It has taken me so long to learn when I've got that feeling and I've just written an email and I'm like, you know, to just say, okay, Oren, let's just leave the draft and come back to that tomorrow and reread it and see if I'm going to send it or not or change it. Wow. That takes a lot of willpower. It does. And, you know, I've learned, I've learned the hard way. If, you know, if one email and then you've got like, you know, what, what is it like weeks of cleaning up a mess with somebody where it turns into 10 emails or three phone calls in a meeting, you're like, Jesus, I only had not sent that one email. So just pausing. If we just did that, we would change our online relationship a lot. So that's one. And then using these other tools of really check, you know, where am I coming from here? What kind of energy am I putting out there into the world with this message? What am I modeling? You know, am I modeling the values that I want to see in the world? Am I modeling respect, empathy, kindness, patience, uh, mutual understanding? And we can start to actually communicate in those ways online with choosing our words more carefully, being aware of our intention and taking time to pause and slow down. So plug zone. Plug zone. Yeah, I want to hear everything, please. Yeah, yeah. So I am super excited. I turned 40 last year and I've got a book coming out. It's like, (laughs) it's such a great gift. It's like, wow. And I'm just really, I'm really, I'm really thrilled to get to share these tools with people. It's such an amazing thing. Like I wish everyone had these tools. I wish everyone knew about this stuff. So the book is called Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. The best way to stay in touch and learn more about my teaching and my work is through my newsletter. I write two personal emails a month and send out a guided meditation or an article or a link to a free event. And my website is orinjsofer.com. Thanks again to Oren. Thank you as well to all the people who work so hard on this show. Samuel Johns, Gabrielle Zuckerman, DJ Kashmir, Justine Davey, Kim Baikama, Maria Wortel, and Jen Poyant with our audio engineering aces over at Ultraviolet Audio. We'll see you in a couple of days for a brand new episode. We got a big one. It's Brene Brown talking about her new book and her new TV show. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. 
Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost, but now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.